is Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound, bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. You can clap for that. It's a good word. Good word. How about that extra hour of sleep? Yeah? Man, that felt good. That felt real good. I forgot all about it till last night. Um, I saw a meme this morning that said, preachers, don't forget, you get an extra hour to preach this morning. So <laughs> buckle up. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding, Fran. <laughs> Susie, I thought you were on my team. So, you know, last week we talked about, um, about how few things connect us back to our childhood more than the shows we grew up watching, right? They can just take us back right away. And there are all sorts of reasons we love our shows, right? But the ones that, we, that really pull us in, that get us to commit for like the long haul that we watch year after year, usually it's because we can relate to them somehow, right? Maybe, maybe not everything, but there's something about the character or the setting that they're in that we can sort of relate to on a personal level, Right? But something else about these shows that, that keep, keep them interesting, that keep us sort of plugged in, is that they usually involve conflict, like some sort of conflict. Like think about the old school sitcoms, like the 30-minute long shows, you know, that usually had like a live studio audience with a laugh track, right? These shows, every episode followed a sort of pattern. You knew that within that 30 minutes, something bad was going to happen. Right? Like it, was, it starts off, everything's fine, everything's normal, everybody's getting along, doing their thing, and then some sort of conflict gets introduced, right? There's an argument, there's some sort of issue between two people, or something hard happens and they got to figure it out, right? You cannot have a story without conflict. Did you know that? If there's no conflict, there's no story, right? If you're watching something, you can go ahead and guarantee there's going to be some conflict. It's inevitable. The same is true in real life, too. Right? It's one of the things that makes these shows so relatable is because we know in our own life, man, if you're going to be in relationships, if you're going to people at all, there's going to be some conflict. It's like my, my daughter, Gigi, she's, she's got this like really big group of, of girlfriends. It's like a herd of girls, right? And they are so much fun. It's in fourth grade. They're so fun to watch. The way they get along, they're all really, really funny. But like last week, I was at the school for something, and I was watching them just all sit together uh, during this little award ceremony thing. And I'm like, I started thinking. I was like, oh, this is so great now. I wonder what this is going to look like by seventh grade. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, hope, I hope it does, but come on. I mean, based on my experience, you know, it's probably not going to be one group. It's going to be like three, Right? All the people you used to be friends with, you're not anymore. I mean, which conflict, it's inevitable, isn't it? It's just a part 
of people in together. Um, but at the same time, something else that, that makes these shows, that kind of pulls us in, is where conflict is inevitable. We also know that within that 30 minutes, or some point in time, they're going to resolve the conflict. Right? They're going to work it out. It may not happen in one episode. It might take several or a whole season. But we know the conflict eventually is going to come to some sort of resolution. The same is not, that is not true in real life, though, is it? Our conflict is not always guaranteed to resolve. It's definitely not going to resolve as nice and neatly as it does in these shows. But see, I think that's another reason why we love them so much. It's because even though our conflict doesn't resolve, we want it to, don't we? And we long for, for reconciliation. We long for resolution. I think that's one of the reasons why we, we love watching these shows, because we kind of get a little picture of what that looks like or what it could look like. So today, I want to continue the conversation we started last week. We're getting close to wrapping up our peopling series. And last Sunday, we started talking about navigating conflict and working our way through this really fascinating teaching from Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. We didn't get very far, did we? Y'all need to be proud of me. I went in to this text thinking it was going to be a one-week message. Then it turned into a two-week message. It's going to be a three-week message. We're going to wrap it up next week. But, but old Nick would try to cram all that into one Sunday. We'd be here until lunch. You know, It's like, y'all should be like, way to go, pastor. That's awesome. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that. But I just want to say this too, y'all. Some of you in this room, you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing. And I'm going to be honest. We're singing that song. There's power in the name of Jesus. I believe that. I believe it. But you know, I didn't always. I didn't always. And it's okay. If that's where you're at. You're not sure about all the, you know, maybe the supernatural side of things. That's fine. That's fine. You're welcome here, okay? But listen, just like consider his teachings first. Like consider what Jesus has to say about how we do relationships, about how we people. I'm telling you, if you, if you just start there, then you've got to admit, this guy's on to something. And this teaching to me is so profound in Matthew 18. You know, it is, there's so much wisdom here. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're not sure, that's fine. Be, be, be where you're at, but just be curious, right? Be curious. Check out what Jesus has to say. But like I said, we didn't get very far. I got stuck on that first word, if, right? If. Jesus begins the teaching with if, when he could have just easily, perhaps even more accurately, started the teaching with when, right? When they sin against you, because it's going to happen. But he doesn't. He starts it with if, and it's like we said last week, there is a world of difference between being an if person as opposed to a win person when it comes to how we navigate conflict. Because if people, they don't rush into conflict certain that they have all of their facts straight. No. If people don't assume they have the whole story. If people get curious, right? And they're generous with how they interpret people's motives. There's some wisdom in that, isn't there? But perhaps the most important thing for us to recognize with this passage is that is Jesus' big assumption. Right? And even giving us this instruction about conflict, Jesus assumes that we are in the kind of relationships where this sort of thing can happen. Right? Right? Relationships that are rooted in vulnerability and honesty and trust, so much so that we can actually go to each other and talk about our stuff. We can even challenge each other. Right? We can even confront each other if that needs to happen. And people believe that it's coming from the best sort of place. And it's like we said, these relationships are rare, aren't they? They're rare. But they are absolutely essential for us if we're going to grow. 
You want to grow? Right? If we're going to grow into the kind of people that God wants us to be, the kind of people that I think we long to be, these relationships are so unbelievably essential. So I want us to pick up where we left off. There's still a whole lot going in, going on in this text. We'll wrap it up next week. But can we pray real quick? I want to make sure we're ready to hear what's going on. Jesus, we just we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the energy in this room. I thank you for your presence with us. And that song that we sang, man, that line, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Sometimes our chains, uh, our chains are uh, woundedness. Our chains can be hurt in the hardness of heart that we sometimes develop because of it. And so I just pray for the people in the room who maybe have been betrayed. They've been burned. I pray, Lord, that maybe you just help them to soften up a bit this morning. To break that chain. To maybe just, um, to give them the strength maybe to even, to believe that it's possible for them to have some really healthy, good relationship. It's possible for them maybe to trust again. Maybe that's what needs to happen this morning. So just say whatever it is you got to say. Get me out of the way. And just make us ready to hear it. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, some of y'all going to be glad I'm doing this. Because the first thing I want to do is address the cringe factor with this text. It's a little cringy, right? I mean, some of us, you know, we, we hear it read, uh, even though Jerry did an amazing job. Well done. But, like, we hear about someone being brought before a whole church congregation and, like, be publicly shamed. Right? Or the, or the whole thing about treating them like a tax collector or a pagan. Or some translations say a sinner. It's like throwing them out into the cold. I mean, for some, that's all too real. We've experienced this from the church before. I've heard all sorts of horror stories about how this teaching has been used to hurt people. I mean, my father-in-law, he confronted a pastor friend a long time ago in private about something he didn't really agree with and didn't appreciate. Well, that pastor told him, so if you don't like how I handle it, you can leave. And I'll tell you what, if you come back, we'll have the authorities escort you off the property. And they used this teaching to kind of justify sort of their behavior, right? And that sort of abuse of power. But listen, this teaching is not a step-by-step guide on how to kick people out of the church. I'm telling you, there are two things make that clear to me. One, when we hear the word church, we think of this, don't we? Like a room full of people on a Sunday morning. All these folks sitting here that really don't know each other that well. And somebody being brought up in front of all of them, and having all their stuff sort of shared publicly. That's not the context. See, in Jesus' day, when you talk about the church, you're talking about a collective of families and neighbors that would gather in the homes. And so this sort of thing is not taking place amongst strangers. Okay? So you don't need to have in your mind like a Salem witch trial. Burn the witch, right? I'm Monty Python fan. No, think more. Think more of like an intervention. Some of us have had to be a part of those things, right? That happens in the, in, in the confines of people that know and trust one another. doesn't make it any easier, right? That can be a really hard thing to do, but it does kind of lessen the cringe factor a bit. This sort of thing isn't playing out amongst strangers. It's happening amongst people who know each other deeply, right? And then the whole treat them like you would a tax collector or a pagan, that sounds kind of demeaning. Right? It's definitely referring to sort of change in the relationship. But real quick, here's how we start. How did Jesus te- treat tax collectors and pagans? Seems like that's where we should start, right? 
If we're a little unsure about what something means, like, what do you mean treat him like a tax collector and pagan? Well, I'm a Christian, which means I identify as a Jesus follower. First question I ask is, well, how did Jesus do that? What did that look like? What did you, how did Jesus, somebody tell me, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and pagans? You, he loved them. He ate with them. Did you know that? That's one of the charges that gets brought against Jesus. Why, why people should be afraid of Jesus. They say, this man eats with tax collectors and pagans. And then, you know who wrote this gospel? Matthew. Could somebody give him a high five, whoever said that? Way to go. Matthew was a tax collector. He was. Tax collectors were not loved by their neighbors. They were seen as, they, they, they sort of sold out to the Romans. They were employed by the Romans to collect taxes from their Jewish neighbors. And they often abused that power. They took way more than they were supposed to. And so their fellow Jews didn't like them very much at all. And despite sort of their perception in the community, guess what? Jesus ate with them. Jesus shared a meal with them. And so here, whatever this teaching is about, it isn't about publicly shaming people, and it's not about kicking them out of the church. And it also is not a justification for covering things up either. You see, that's the other way that this teaching often gets abused. It gets used as justification for covering up things like abuse within the church. They'll say things like, hey, we, we don't need to make this public. We don't need to get the authorities involved. We're just supposed to keep this in-house. We're just supposed to keep this between the two of us. No. No. This is not about covering up a wrong. This is about confronting it. The right way to confront it. So I just want to say this really clear, okay? You can follow Jesus and get a restraining order. Do you hear me? You can. You can be a person of grace and compassion and forgiveness and press charges. You can be. This is not about protecting perpetrators, right? This is about how do we confront wrongdoing in the best way possible. And so it's not about kicking people out. It's not about covering things up. Now that we talk about what this passage isn't about, let's get into what it is about. How's that sound? We'll get back into verse 15. So last week we looked at the first half of verse 15. Let's pick it up from there. So it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So last week I told you to underline the word if. This week, underline that phrase. Just between the two of you. In fact, let's all say that together. You ready? Just between the two of you. Jesus doesn't say, go and get a bus and pack it full of people. He doesn't say, take out a billboard and plaster it for the world to see. He doesn't say, put up a really snarky Facebook post. What's he when there's something between you and somebody else, go to them just between the two of you. This isn't usually what happens, though, is it? What tends to happen when there's conflict, when there's something between us and somebody else, usually what we do is instead of going to the other person, we go to somebody else who isn't involved and we bring them into it. You know what this is called, right? Gossip. You've heard of this before? Y'all heard of gossip? It's gossip. And gossip is incredibly destructive. In fact, I want to have a little bit of fun right now. I'm going to come down there and kind of pop the bubble. I'm going to I'm going to step across the line. We're going to have a little fun. We're going to play an old school game of telephone. And so I need like a whole row of people, and I picked this one out right here earlier. It's just a, it's just a lovely row. 
It's a lovely row of people. I just think this is a beautiful row. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a phrase, Steve, my man Steve. You all say hi to Steve. All right? I'm going to whisper this in your ear, not in a creepy, not in a creepy way. Now, I'm not going to, no sweet nothings, no nibbling, nothing like that. Okay? I'm going to whisper the phrase in your ear. Of course, you're going to pass it on down the line. It's going to go from here all the way. Let's finish with the Winston family. All right? You're going to be, Yes. Yes, we're going to finish with the Winstons, okay? Here's the rules. Here's the rules for the game. I'm going to share it with you one time. You cannot ask me to repeat myself, okay? You only get to say it once, all right? So you're going to whisper it down the line. You don't get to ask people to repeat themselves, okay? You get one shot to say it. Does that make sense? You got it? I love this sentence, too. I just can't wait for you to hear it. All right, it's one sentence. It is, a, it is one sentence, complete sentence. Here we go. I can't wait for this. This is going to be fantastic. Go ahead. That's it. You didn't listen to me, Steve. You didn't listen. This is going to be fantastic. Keep it moving. Nope, don't ask any questions. What, what is this? What is this? Pay attention to the rules. Dylan, you try to do something creative in the sermon, and everybody just messes it up. All right, that's it. Done. You're done. Go. You're go. I promised Fran I'd get you out of here early. Come on. All right, keep it going. All right, Mom. It all depends on you. This is my mom, by the way, in case you didn't know. Here we go. This has gotten longer. It's gotten longer. We're going to have a novella. Do we need a little music? Start humming it with me. All right. Come on. We're almost there. Keep going. Oh, it did. Wow. We have definitely left some details behind. All right, Charlie. Here we go, Charlie. What'd you hear? The park said no and go Irish. <laughs> the parks that no. The park said no and go Irish. <laughs> okay. I think, I think that was a little addition, but I liked it. I like Sorry, Clemson fans. Y'all ready to hear this? You ready to hear the sentence? Yeah? Here we go. Here's the sentence that you, you heard. It's not that long. The dog goes woof, the cat goes meow, and the aardvark says some really unflattering things about your grandma. That was the I love that sentence. It took me for, I, took, I spent a long time crafting the perfect sentence. The aardvark says, and we got, the park says no. I don't even know. And go Irish. And go Irish. Okay, come on. Bring it in. 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 It's funny, but in real life, we're not talking about aardvarks or your grandma, are we? We're talking about people's pain. 
talking about people's hurt. And do you see what happens? I mean, it illustrates it perfectly, right? It's silly, but it illustrates it perfectly. Whenever we gossip, often what happens is things get lost in translation, don't they? They do. Or here, here's, here's what's even worse. If we get really honest with ourselves, when we go and gossip with other people, we're not just trying to give them the facts anyway. We're selling it, right? I don't just want you to know, but I'm going to, like, leave things out and exaggerate other things so that you're on my side. And so I'm going to leave some important things out. Do you see? But this is incredibly destructive, It's incredibly destructive, and it doesn't do us any good. Proverbs 16, 28 says it really clearly. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. This thing that was just between us and this other person now involves all of these other people. And here's sort of an aha moment for me this week. I started thinking about this. And, And gossip erodes trust in more than one direction. Because we tend to think about how it only erodes trust. It's like the only person's trust we're breaking is the one we're gossiping about, right? Like they shared some information with me and I go and tell somebody else. I'm like, I'm like breaking up their trust. But at the same time, think about this. Like when I go to somebody else and I'm telling them something that I heard or that I know, right? One of the things I'm communicating to that other person is that I don't respect confidentiality. That I'm not somebody you can necessarily trust. Right? It's like I go to somebody, I'm like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? You know, they're going through a divorce, and I heard that, you know, he was running around on her. In that moment, I am sharing a story that's not mine to share. And usually we do this to jumpstart connection with each other, don't we? We do it because, like, ooh, this is a way for me to get it. Because everybody, come on, we, somebody's going to tell you something you're not supposed to know. There's something enticing about that. We think it's sort of jump-starting connection. But connection that's based on talking bad about other people, it's fake. It's fake connection. It's incredibly shallow, and it's fragile. Because here's, here's the reality, okay? When you have a friend with somebody and you talk bad about other people, and it's kind of what you do, isn't there a part of you that wonders how they talk about you when you're not around? Do you see what I'm saying? So it's, we, we think it like brings us closer, maybe for a second because we're getting some sort of dopamine hit, how, how fun it is, right? But the reality is it's a super fragile, shallow way of developing friendships. And it's just incredibly destructive. And I'm telling you right now, if you want to have meaningful relationships, stay away from gossip. I mean, just stay away from it. Best definition of gossip I've ever heard is when it's you're, you're talking to somebody about a problem who isn't a part of the solution. Isn't that a good definition? Because sometimes there's a problem when we need, we need to talk to somebody. We need to get some help and some clarity. But it's usually somebody who's, who's going to help us solve the issue. So gossip is whenever you go to somebody who's not a part of the solution. So a really great, great way to just kind of handle it. Somebody comes to you about something that's none of your business. Say, hey, you know what? I think you're talking to the wrong person. Let's get you talking to the right person. But this teaching told you there's a lot here. Jesus is he's something, right? But thanks to technology, there's a very specific application from this teaching I feel like I need to bring up. The passive-aggressive post on social media. You know what I'm talking about. You all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? That person in your friend group puts up that sort of cryptic message, right? It's just obvious enough that you know who they're taking a shot at. But it's like vague enough so that they, they can deny that they meant anything from it. Right? So you like go to them and you're like, man, what was that all about? And they're like, what are you talking about? You're just reading into things. Come on. Come on. 
I mean, it's just one of those things that's so obviously unhealthy and childish and silly that the minute I just describe it to you, I don't got to convince you that that's a childish thing. To do. You just hear it and you're like, yeah, but we've all done it. It's just not helpful. It's not helpful. And it usually has the adverse effect that you intend it to. A lot of people think, I'm going to put up this post and show them. Everybody's going to see I'm right. Is that usually what happens, though? When you read somebody else's passive-aggressive Facebook post, are you like, ooh, they told them. No, you're like, wow, that's really eating them up. Right? Let's develop some resiliency, shall we? When you have something with somebody, go to them just between the two of you. That's where healthy conflict management starts. Look them in the eye, right? Have a conversation. Begin to address it. Where am I at? I forgot. Oh, let's keep going. Verse 16, all right? So we got through verse 15. Verse 16, Jesus says this, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Essentially what Jesus is saying is that some conflicts reach a point where what is needed is a third party. Third party. Again, Jesus doesn't say fill a bus, invite whoever. No, but bring in people you can trust. People who can see both sides and speak some truth into the situation. Because there are some conflicts where the friction, it runs so deep, right? Or, or things have been going on for so long, and they haven't been talked about. And it can be really hard to sort of go to the balcony. Remember we talked about that last week? you got to remove yourself, make it less personal. There are some issues that are so deep and so close, it's really hard to do that. And what we need is a third party. Somebody who can objectively look at the situation as an outsider and offer some clarity. Help us see it for what it is. See, relationships need other relationships. This is definitely true in marriage, right? This is, um, there's something like Lindsay and I are stuck on, and we get stuck on some stuff. There's some sort of issue. We're not making any headway. We're not getting anywhere. I love knowing that Lindsay has some close friends that she can process stuff with. Like, I love the fact that she has friends I can trust her with. Like, I can send her away. I'm like, you need, you need somebody else to talk to you about this. It's like Jesus said it like this. He said, a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. So, I mean, like, think about, think about being Jesus' neighbors. Like, growing up as a kid. And they're walking around. This, this is the Messiah. I saw Jesus pick his nose, right? I mean, you just see how hard it would be for them to, like, take any of this seriously. That's, that's what he's getting at. Sometimes you're so close to people, they have a hard time. That's going to be so true in our relationships, particularly in marriage. There's a hard word that the other person needs to hear, right? But you may not be the one to give it to them. You're too close. They see where you sleep. Go to the bathroom. They see all that. It can be really easy for them to dismiss you. Does that make sense? So we need other relationships. Sometimes the hard word needs to be amongst friends, not necessarily spouses. That might sound a little weird, but I think that's where the church is supposed to come in. We need healthy relationships with people that we can sort of entrust each other to. A third party can be really helpful when it comes to navigating conflict, but we need to be cautious about who that third party is. And I'm thinking of one particular example right here. Uh, married folks. I don't think it's a good idea for a parent to be the third party in a conflict between you and your spouse. This is not a good idea. Okay? It's really not a good idea. Because parents can't unhear things. You know what I'm talking about? 
It's like you might share something with like your mom or your dad or whatever in a moment of frustration about something your spouse has done, right? And then a couple weeks later, you're going to be over it and forget about it. But guess who won't forget about it? But because, yeah, mom, because before you were so-and-so's spouse, you were their baby. And you're always going to be their baby. And so when you share with them something like that, they can have a hard time getting that out of their mind. So just don't go to your parents as a third party. It's just, now, if you're here, young people, and you're dating, and the person you're dating is telling you not to go to your parents, break up with them right now. Okay? Break up with them right now. If the per- I'm talking to you. Seriously, if teenagers, if you're dating somebody and they're getting you to keep secrets from your mom and dad and, and you know, not talk, no. That's dangerous. Don't listen to them. Your mom and dad would die for you. That person won't even pay for your dinner. Okay? So, like, just drop them. Drop them. But once we're married, it talks about leaving and cleaving. There's some things mom and dad don't need to know. All right? Go to a therapist. Have a, get into a group at church, talk it out amongst other people. Tell you, there's some practical stuff in here. Am I right? Notice what Jesus says next, verse 17. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're golden. We're golden. Verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, it's not about publicly shaming them. Or treating them as an enemy. But there does come a point at which a relationship can no longer function in the same way. Right? There can come a time when the healthiest, most life-giving thing you can do is end a relationship. Is walk away from a friendship. So I think more than anything, this teaching is a word of caution about who we allow to influence our lives. You know, as Jesus followers, we're supposed to be kind to everyone. We're supposed to serve anyone, even our neighbors or even our enemies, right? Maybe especially our enemies, but not everybody deserves equal access to your life. I like to think about it like this. Like, who gets to sit at your table? Not your physical table, right? Everybody's welcome to my physical table, but I got like a table up here. (laughs) I got a table in here. Like, who gets to speak into my life? Not everybody. In fact, that's a pretty small group of people. They get to actually speak into my life, influence my decisions. Who gets to sit at your table? Who do you allow to speak into your life? Because some people can lose their spot at the table. Am I right? I did a little research on this the other day on social media, and I just, I just asked people, what are some reasons you've had for ending a friendship or limiting someone access to your life? I got a lot of responses. A ton. You know, and I, I can tell... That there's a lot of pain involved with these decisions. It's never an easy thing to do. It's not something we just should rush around into, right? But it does, does come a time where that is the necessary thing. This person, you don't get the same access to me that you used to have. doesn't mean I have to treat you like an enemy or be mean to you. It doesn't mean I, I can even be around you. I mean, remember, what did Jesus do with tax collectors? He ate with them. You can even be around them. You can be friendly. But they don't get to know the same things that they used to know. They don't get to talk to me about the same things that we used to. Things are different. It's adjusted. There's some distancing here. That can be a really, really healthy thing to you. I can't give you some exhaustive list of reasons why, okay? That's complicated, and I think often we need a third party to help us with that. If if it's come time for that, I think we need to have a conversation with somebody outside of the relationship. But here are a few less obvious reasons. There's the obvious ones, right? Physical abuse, emotional abuse. Yes, end that. Get away from them. Remember, restraining order. It's okay, right? But there's some less obvious ones, too. 
Some things that we tend to just allow to keep happening in these relationships, and we keep having these like horrible feelings towards this person, and we think we're having a hard time forgiving them. You're not. It's called boundaries. It's hard to forgive somebody when they're still hurting you. You hear me? If you're going to forgive them, you might need to get some distance. You might need to change the, the di- dynamics of the relationship. But there's some less obvious reasons. Like, you ever have those people who don't respect your values or convictions? Like, I'm not saying that you have to agree on everything. But there should be a mutual respect. Right? Like, I, I know a lot of people over the last two years have had to end friendships over political differences. Which, man, that's a whole conversation I'd like to have. That tells me we, we're too closely identifying with our political ideologies. We're holding them too close. But at the same time, we've gotten mean and nasty about it. And so sure, you might vote for different people. You don't have to agree on that. But you should show each other respect. And if people can't respect your convictions or beliefs, I'm not sure they need to have that kind of access to your life. You don't need to talk about that kind of stuff with them. Are you with me? Or, or there are some people, uh, people who can't handle your success like people who for some reason feel kind of threatened by it or everything's a competition. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you want to share with them something that you're excited about or something good that happened, but as soon as you do, they either like belittle it, minimize it, or they start telling you about all the things that they did, and it's like it's just weird one-up kind of thing. This, this happens a lot of times with people we grew up with. You know what I'm saying? Like you have some history with them, and you kind of grow up, and you're more like siblings. If you keep sharing good things with people and they don't know how to celebrate with you, stop sharing it with them. Limit that access to them. You don't have to let them in on that, right? It's okay. Again, it doesn't mean you have to treat them like an enemy or a horrible person. You just say, you know what? You don't get access to me in that way anymore. Or there are some people who get in the way or sabotage your growth. You know, it seems like they want to hold you back with them. Like they don't want to grow either. They don't want to grow or change. And so they like try talking you out of it too. You know, you share this idea about this new thing you're wanting to do. This, they're like, oh, come on, that just sounds like a lot of work. Why would you want to do that? You know, or sometimes it's people who keep sabotaging their own growth. They keep messing things up and expect you to bail them out every time. Yeah, those are people you probably need to change the dynamic of that relationship with. You can be friendly, right? You could be nice to them. You can even be around them. But that doesn't mean they get to sit at your table. They don't have to have equal access to your life. We could spend all morning talking about who we could cut out of our lives, right? We could do that. I don't think that's the most helpful approach to this. I think more than anything, what this teaching does for me is it reminds me of the importance of having friendships that are rooted in the right kind of stuff. Right? Often, if you look at a lot of our friendships, it's because we're a little lazy when it comes to this, and we're busy. We're just super busy people, and and meaningful relationships take work and time, and we don't tend to have a lot of that, so we tend to settle for friendships that are rooted in, like, really shallow things. Right? A lot of times they either, they're rooted in convenience, they're rooted uh, in preference, or they're rooted in like uh, history. We think about a lot of our friendships, a lot of times they're, they're just, because we don't have time or energy or patience, we just settle for like shallow friendships. And so convenience, you know, we happen to be neighbors, or our kids happen to play on the same baseball team, or we're co-workers, we're just around each other, so might as well be friendly, Right? Or friendships that are rooted in preference. You work out of the same gym. You do kind of the same hobbies. You, just, you like the same music. I don't know. You just preferences, right? Or, or history. People you grew up with. You've been friends since fifth grade or whatever it is. And you're just sort of there and it's sort of easy. These are not bad relationships. 
They can be great, but they often are a little shallow, right? They, they, they don't get to the deeper things, to any sort, of, any sort of depth. I think in order for us to grow, if we're going to be our best selves, we have to have some friendships that are rooted in our deeper convictions and beliefs. I like thinking about it like this. I want to be friends with people who are heading in the same direction. You know, Proverbs talks about wisdom as if it's a path, right? Like, for instance, Proverbs 4 gives careful thought to the path of your feet and be steadfast on all your ways. Wisdom, living life well, isn't just something you know. It's a direction you're living, right? I got to have some friends who are heading in the same direction, who have the same definition of the good life. Right? Who have the same sense of what healthy relationships look like. If we're not working with the same definition, it's going to be hard for us to have any depth. Right? So, so maybe you've got some friends, you know, and, and it's rooted in some sort of inconvenience. You're around each other. Maybe they're funny. I love funny people, right? But that doesn't mean you're headed in the same direction when it comes to how you live. You might have some friends with somebody because you have the same hobby, but it doesn't mean that you share the same priorities. When it comes to what you, should, what you should give your life to. And maybe you share a lot of history with somebody. That doesn't mean that you've grown in the same direction. That's a hard one though, isn't it? Like somebody you were best friends with for the longest time. But the reality is you've kind of grown in two different directions. You know, you can still be friendly with them. But you probably need to change your expectations on that relationship. It's not going to meet the same needs that it used to. And that's okay. It's okay. You know, and I, I, here, again, another practical example. I'm thinking of like a married couple, right? And often what happens, can I riff? I can riff, okay. Like this is young marrieds, right? A lot of times young marrieds, like people uh, have their friends before the marriage. You know what I mean? Like I got these people that I've been hanging out with. You got your people you've been hanging out with, right? And then you get married, right? What's, what can be weird sometimes about those friendships, I'm not saying you got to end them all, okay? Don't, don't hear me. But, but they, they're going to often have your back, before they're going to have the marriages back. You know what I mean? And so your spouse does something you don't like, it hurts your feelings or whatever, and you go tell your girlfriends from back in the day about what he did. A lot of them be like, man, you just, the advice they're going to give you isn't going to be helpful for the relationship because they're sticking up for you. Does that make sense? Right, but this, this, this can happen all the time. You, you can have, you know, couples friends with people, and, and you're going through an issue in your relationship, and just because you might be friends out of convenience or preference or whatever doesn't mean you have the same ideology when it comes to, like, how do you work through conflict in a relationship? And you go share this vulnerable thing with them, and they might start telling you the last thing you need to hear. If I were you, I'd just move out. I would just call it quits. You see what I'm saying? It's so important for us to have friendships with people who are heading in the same direction when it comes to what we believe about the biggest sort of thing. Are you tracking with me? In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, says like this, Walk with the wise and become wise. You become like the people you hang out with. Young people, hear me. It's the truest thing I know. It's the truest thing I know. you got to be really careful about who you're friends with. You can be friendly with everybody. But it's so important for us to be making friendships with people who are heading in the same direction. Who have the same picture of what it means to be a healthy human being. Because you will become like the people you spend time with. So here, here's a simple challenge for y'all between now you know, and the end of the year. Take a friendship audit. Like Actually examine your relationships. Look at them. How many friendships do you have that are rooted in those deeper things? 
Like, you can get together and talk about fantasy football and reality TV. and re- That's fine. That's fun. That's great. But can you talk to him about the more significant things, the heavier things, the deeper things? Because that's not as easy. But we've got to have relationships where we can do that. And I think that's our primary job as a church is to help form meaningful friendships. And the people we might put you in a group with in January, which remember we're launching January, they might not be your favorite people. <laughs> they might get under your skin in some ways. But that's a good thing too. We're going to talk about that some more next week when we get into it. But we need deeper, meaningful relationships where we can actually talk about the bigger, heavier things. That's our vision for groups. And that's what I'd love to help you get into um, next year. So again, I've already heard from some of you. That gets me excited. So people who are ready to rip, ready to get into groups, email me. We'll start matchmaking some things. But that's all I got this morning. How about that for a conclusion? (laughs) Can I pray for us, though? Let's do that. Let's pray. Ah, Covered a lot of ground. We need some help remembering it, Jesus. I know we talked about gossip. And so I pray for anybody here who's been hurt by gossip, or maybe some of us who are just, man, we just love it too much. Take that away. Confront us with the truth of it, that it's really ugly. And the reality is we don't want anybody doing it about us. And so we just don't want to perpetuate that. So just remind us the next time we, you know, we get excited about spilling the tea, as they say. I think I said that right. Just remind us, this is, this is not the way. This is not the way. Lord, I pray for people who maybe are in a bit of a, a conflict right now, they're in a stalemate in their relationship. They feel stuck. Maybe what they need is a third party. Lord, give them the courage to reach out for that. I know sometimes we avoid a third party because we're afraid of what they're going to say. It's a whole lot easier to convince ourselves that the other person is, is the problem when we don't allow a truth teller to point some things out. So I just pray for courage. People that need help. Pray that they reach out for help. Lord, maybe there is uh, somebody in here in the room who knows there's a relationship they need to alter. And they're scared to death. Lord, give them the courage to do it. Give them the wisdom to do it in the right way. Just remind them that you have this really great way of sending us the people that we need when we need them. And so just give them a sense uh, to trust you, to trust you with that. But first, give them the courage to maybe limit some access to their life to some people who've been hurting them for far too long. And Lord, more than anything, I just, I want to keep saying this publicly as much as I can. I don't want us to be a bunch of strangers. I want us to be a community of people who are in each other's corners. People who really know what's going on and people who handle that with grace. But people who also have courage to challenge each other, to promote growth in our lives. I don't want us to stay the same. That's my big fear. That we're just going to keep coming here once a week and because we like some of the things that we hear, but Lord, we don't really change. I know change happens as we, as we move closer together. And so that's what I want. I pray that between now and January, you just stir people up, make them ready for this. So that when we launch those groups, they have a profound impact on our lives. Again, I just thank you for this time together. Be with us as we go. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, thanks for coming. Have a great week.